and Richard Rohr, of course, is a, a raging heretic, but he says... <laughs> <laughs> he, I don't really he, read Richard Rohr. I like to just sit next to his books, and I feel like the, you know, just sort of the emanation right. of the uh, divine <laughs> transcendence just sort of washes over me. I think and, you're um, referring to a contact high. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, good, Nick. Is it time for another Stand Firm sports report? You got any Sweet 16 predictions for our listener? Since <laughs> we moved from Louisville, I don't even know what season it is in terms of basketball. <laughs> are we talking about football's ever, right? So yeah, talking about something else? It's okay. basketball now, man. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, well, the whole state shuts down in Kentucky, so that made it more um, unavoidable. Well, but Kentucky right. lost in the first round, so there was great weeping and gnashing of teeth around these parts. That's right. Where is now your God? <laughs> you, that sounds like an exaggeration, but is not at all. I understand. <laughs> oh, man. Well, today, you guys, we thought we'd talk about the image of God, the Imago Dei. It's a relatively simple phrase uh, sourced in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So a simple phrase, but with profound implications. Huge volumes have been written on the image of God. But the catalyst for our conversation today is a current strange twisting of what seems to be an unadulteratedly wonderful doctrine that we are made in God's image. People seem to be invoking the image of God today in very strange ways. On the one hand, it's invoked as it has long been to defend any behavior or orientation. It can't be wrong. It's said, I'm made in the image of God. And on the other hand, it's used as a shield against criticism how can you disagree with that person? They're made in the image of God. Megan Basham put our feelings well on Twitter just this morning when she said that no concept in Christendom is put to more tortured use than Imago Dei. <laughs> so guys, what does it mean to say that we humans are made in the image of God? Yeah, Genesis uh, chapter one um, indicates that we are yeah, all human beings are, are created in God's in God's image, and that, like you say, is a wonderful thing. It's a, it's it is, I think, one of the bases upon which we we would say that all human life is is sacred and valuable, yeah. um, because because we are um, we are God's image bearers. And you, you know, Genesis one has some some ways that kind of that God fleshes that out in the in the commands that He gives us. We uh, He creates, we procreate. Um, he is sovereign over all things, time, space, uh, the cosmos. He's given us sovereignty over the over the world as his co-regents, and um, and so there's like, there's 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 ways the Bible gives us that we were at least originally in, in supposed to um, exercise dominion as God's as God's stewards, um, bearing His image into into the world. Um, of course, the I think one of the things that bother bothers us about the way the Imago Dei has been used lately is that 
um, is that it seems to skip right over Genesis three, and, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and, and Genesis three, uh, of course, is the fall. And when when human beings chose to rebel against God, the the communion, the perfect communion that was established at creation, was broken, and death, sickness, sorrow, pain, all of that entered in. But it also rebellion right so so our hearts and minds and uh and souls which were directed godward originally turned inward i guess augustine would say and that would the the image itself was 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 twisted and marred so that while right. it's still true that we are made in god shattered image, shattered right we it's it's yeah Irenaeus has that picture of the mosaic the 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 mosaic of, of of the human person that God created in the beginning, shattered and broken, um, and and so it's not something that you want to rest your hope in. I mean, it's, again, it's a true thing. It's something that we we uh, would would say that that uh, everyone, whether they're Christian or not, has is everyone has the image of God, um, and yet because it's so ruined, you wouldn't want to consider your being made in the image of God, a basis for your hope and that, or, or a basis for, um, for any kind of argument about your place in the church, which just seems to be uh, how some <laughs> are using it with regard to uh, women's ordination, which we can talk about later if we want to. But the, but the, but the idea is, is now our hope lies externally. It, it lies in Christ, who has come. God has sent Christ to, to restore the mosaic. Uh, and and, right. and so when we, when we come to the New Testament, we're not told, "Hey, go back, look within, and 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 gaze at the image of God within. Try to find the sacred kernel of the Imago Dei, and then and live into that." There's nothing, nothing remotely like that. In the New Testament, instead, we're always and everywhere told to 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 uh, look outward, gaze, let let our eyes, the eyes of our hearts and souls and minds, rest on Christ, and we're conformed to His image. Um, That's right. He's 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 the new man, and we're being remade uh, in in His image. We're new creations now. So, so the uh, so the old. The old, the old idea of resting in our in, in, in what we were before Christ is well Christians should be thinking that way the one place where you see this really come to the fore and kind of modern discussions and we've talked about this before in the show is is when people talk about the Enneagram um, I don't know if you've uh, read anything <laughs> by Richard Rohr on the Enneagram but but some of the and Richard Rohr of course is a, a raging heretic. But he says, <laughs> I don't really read Richard Rohr. I like to just sit next to his books, and I feel like the you know just sort of the emanation right. of the uh, divine <laughs> transcendence just sort of washes over me. I think and, you're um, referring to a contact high. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding, mom. I'm just kidding. One of, one of the things he says though is it is it he likens the imago dei to the shimmering self within the the kind of kernel of purity untouched by untouched by the fall, mm-hmm. and and the in the way to be happy, the way to 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 really live out a, a genuine authentic life is to is to tap into that, and the enneagram helps you do that. Tap into the real. Imago Dei, the, who you really are, and then live that out. So it's kind of a Christian way of talking about like the ex- expressive individualism or kind of the kind of stuff that Carl Truman talks about where the, the self now becomes the, the focus of all of our, uh, of our lives that, that's co-opted into the Christian world through, through talking often about the Imago Dei. We don't stand 
in front of the judgment seat at the end of our lives and say, check me out, God. Remember that I'm made in your image. Right. We rely fully on the salvific work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's clear uh, through the Old Testament. I mean, the prohibition against murder, obviously, was tied directly to the fact that human beings alone are uh, uniquely created in the image of God. The difference or the problem there has always been the question between the, the difference between the creation and a child. You know, first John, the prologue says that not all who were given the opportunity to become children, not by the will of the flesh or by the will of man, but by but by God, you know, is always been the distinction between those who are of still of the flesh, i.e. simply creatures of God. Now, to be sure, uh, warranted thereby with with respect and dignity. I mean, hence the prohibition against murder. But there's a redemptive aspect to the creation that actually brings the creatures into relation as daughters and sons of God, which is the one of the, if not, in my opinion, the most defining characteristics of the difference between um, uh, where the actual image of God rests with humanity is that unique amongst his creatures, we are given the opportunity to have a relation um, with him by the power of his spirit. Um, you know, there's all sorts of ways that theologians have talked about this throughout history, the noetic effects, you know, the sort of intellectual re- relation, the physical relation, you know, the, um, the, the modeling relation, all of these various ideas. And, and I think as with many of these distinctions, probably there's a grain, if not more than a grain of truth in all of them um, taken as a whole. But I think that in my opinion, primarily the, the, the primary one is the way in which the creature can be raised up to a level of uh, relationship um, in the image of God himself, particularly in the New Testament, the now through his son, that actually distinguishes us over against all of the other of God's creatures. You know, Augustine famously said that the you know, the, the, that which elevates us above our vices, for instance, you know, the, the capability to rise above ourselves and our base desires is a, is a constitutive aspect of what it means to be created in the image of God, that we're not simply, as some are because of the fall, slaves to our belly, as it were, we are, we are given the opportunity to rise above, to be co-regents, to be um, to co-laborers um, with God in his, in his garden. And I think this is, you know, one of the, 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 the rubs, as it were, throughout at least modern sort of mainline, for lack of a better word, church discourse, is that there's, there's, there's always an embarrassment of the evangelistic drive to actually preach for conversion. And there's an embarrassment in the reality of the the reality of the promise coming judgment of, of, of heaven and hell. You know, I'll never forget uh, uh, Dr. Mark Seifred, who's a friend of ours, Mon and Nick's, who's a, um, a, I don't know, a, a renowned um, New Testament exegete. I had him come speak at, at St. Francis where we were working uh, back in Louisville, and he began this entire talk on Galatians with something quite, at the time, quite shocking and a little... Um, uh, unexpected. He said, well, you know, before I begin this book, I want to just lay out the basis for the entire discourse. The New Testament is predicated upon the reality of coming judgment. And so we were like, oh, uh, hi, Dr. Seifert. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, Nick, but it was it was a little bit dis- it was so disconcerting or it was disconcerting, but it was it was dis- discon- uh, it was it was it was discordant, I would say, for what how we had been pro- uh, progressing. But but as he unpacked it, it began to be clear that you know, this was a matter of life and death. These are matters of, of, of sin, death, and the devil, and of ultimate redemption. And when we talk about the Imago Dei, we're talking about the need for it to be restored, not for it simply to be um, acknowledged, to be affirmed yeah. and acknowledged. And that's, all of that is part of a whole, which in 
modern discourse in many of uh, the, the corners of the of the quote unquote church right now, the Imago Dei is being used to sidestep the uncomfortable promise and truth of judgment and the need for redemption. Because if, if, you know, it's fundamentally, you could say, you know, God doesn't make any junk, you know, which is we've heard before. If there's I was a, gonna bring that if, up. yeah, if there's a, if there's a, I'm okay, you're okay. Like that famous book. Well then, you know, again, as the infamous um, seminary um, answer goes, you know, with the picture of Jesus on the cross, like, what am I doing up here? Right. I mean, if, if, if God's message to the world with respect to his creation was simply, it's still good, would essentially what some people are arguing well then the whole understanding of the cross loses its focus and the impulse for evangelistic uh, preaching for conversion is totally undercut and we see that happen we've seen that happen in as it were liberal protestantism for the past i don't know 200 years or so and now it's finally bubbled its way or sunk its way or seeped its way down into quote unquote mainline evangelicalism and it's probably found at a well they don't have christian bookstores anymore but it's probably found at a at a um, big box mega church near you you know let's talk about the imago day and all you have are people like schleiermacher and harnack and uh, strauss and all these people from the 19th century are like hold my you know hold my beer you know hold my cycle <laughs> hold my schnapps uh we've been here before we've we've heard this before in fact we met, we said it and and the fruit of that or the lack thereof is the decimation of the western um sort of established church and uh we're trying to obviously avoid that but it's difficult um it's difficult to both know the history and then to watch it be picked up as if it were some sort of new and radical insight amongst people who you know who who think this is this is the next big wave of insight that's going to finally um, be the key that unlocks the the sort of missional frontier of the church. And, you know, again, we find ourselves saying it's been tried. It has failed. Uh, please, you know, it's like Willy Wonka, like, stop, don't please. You know, it's like we've seen this before and um, we're just trying to, to, to sound an alarm because the image of God is an amazingly beautiful, powerful concept in the Bible but it uh, outside of the redemptive power of Jesus through the message of his blood for you, um, then it becomes just another way of sidestepping the uncomfortable reality of the cross. Yeah, I mean, it, you're exactly right. I've been to this before. I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm having, I'm having uh, flashbacks. I'm having <laughs> PTSD from you know, conversations I've had with, with liberal Episcopalians in the Episcopal Church. Um, in particular, you know, this is, I think this is a way of, uh, okay, so the first time I started hearing Imago Dei used this way, it must have been back in the 90s when I was in, um, when I was in seminary. And, and I, I remember thinking, okay, this is just warmed over plagiarism. This is, this is uh, just someone who's denying the fall and, and, and using Imago Dei as, as uh, I guess, the platform for doing that. And, and I remember quoting some Augustine because I was taking it was in seminary and I was taking a class, a little private study class on Augustine there. And this person <laughs> who was a, a graduate student there got, I mean, irate, angry at the mention of Augustine. And then we, we had a long <laughs> conversation about how, you know, Pelagius was, was unjustly treated by the early church and was really a great saint and we should be well. This is like, of course, the Episcopal church, which didn't, it didn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise anybody. 
Um, that kind of thing happens in the Episcopal Church. But, you know, now, like you say, you see the same kind of moves being made in evangelicalism. I mean, even the ACNA, I think there was a guy, I wish I could remember the name, but there was a guy a while back who was arguing for a, re, re, a reassessment of, play, of Pelagius. Uh, he was an ACNA priest i can't remember his name so i don't want to say anything uh, out, of, out of turn but um but he was he was uh, making the same kind of case that augustinianism has run its course and we need to turn back to uh, recover <laughs> recover people with more positive view of human nature right mm-hmm. yeah um, and i just see yeah, i see this this morning this, this thing because everything because everything all that we know about human activity and nature in yeah. this current moment points to the fact that we really do have two we are two, really too negative of you I really do have too negative a view of like, I just think it's really time for a reevaluation. Somebody so. said that original sin is the only objectively verifiable doctrine of right. the church. Right, right. That's exactly. right. It, exactly. Oh, no matter. I think you're, you're right. I'm, I mean, I want to go to that too, but I think your insight okay. into the fact that it's formed over Pelagianism is really spot on because when you affirm um, something intrinsically good uh, and worthwhile meritoriously uh, for the human being that could sort of stand before God, in this case, just a simple fact of creation, well, then you have, like I said before, you sidestep the entire message and mission of the New Testament, which is that we boast in nothing but the cross. You know, Paul talks about, I didn't come with to eloquence. You know, some of you were not of noble birth. Like I came preaching to know nothing among you, but Christ and him crucified. And if Christ and him crucified was simply a another way, in addition to what you otherwise could have appealed to, which is just the fact that you are a quote unquote image bearer. Well, then again, it undercuts not only the the message of the New Testament, but also the hope for salvation. Because at what point does your image become so so um, tarred, you know, so shattered that you're no longer, you know, fully a bearer, or or do some bear more than the others? I mean, this is just where we enter back into um, the Galatian heresy all over again. And it's the way that it's used in the church, um, or the way that it's used by some, is precisely the same way: is that you have to silence any sort of criticism and or you know judgment of uh of people in uh, across the board because it is unbecoming to do so to a fellow quote-unquote image bearer and it's just that's not how that's not how anyone in the new testament um and really down throughout christian history uh as far as we can tell except for the modern time has used that concept uh if anything the concept has been a chastisement to uh base and sort of depraved um, uh, humans who, yes, bear the image of God, but by their suppression of, uh, the suppression of the truth, by their, their unbelief and rebellion, are actually further uh, exhibiting the, the, the distance from which they actually are I- imaging um, yeah. God. You know, I mean, just because we have the capability and, as it were, the ontology as human beings does not mean that we are doing justice or service to being conformed, as the New Testament takes great pains to point out, into the image of his son, who is the image of God. Like, we are being conformed, um, you know, what does Romans 8, Romans 8 say, that, um, that, he, that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might then be the firstborn among many brothers. Like, the image that we are, as you pointed out before, um, attempting to recapitulate by the power of the Spirit and through God's grace is not a repristination of ourselves, but actually a new birth, a new life in Christ. It seems like St. Paul, and I, I don't have the entire New Testament open in front of me, and I don't have it memorized either, but it seems like 
the overwhelming number of times that St. Paul refers to this kind of idea, he's referring to it in terms of what his Christian readers are not. He's saying, what are you all doing? You're supposed to be made in the image of God. (laughs) You're acting in all of these crazy ways. Don't forget the truth about yourself that you're made in God's image. He's using it to cast into relief how, how they are acting and how they are how they're living not to defend how they're living that's right <laughs> yeah i mean the, the over you see it over and over again when, when paul or or peter or whoever uh begins to tell the christian how he or she should be it's always okay you need to start acting like who god has who redeemed you to be act like who you are act like right. uh, and it's, it's never you are this and so therefore what you do is good it's hey guys what's wrong with you that you are not behaving and keeping with the new person the new yeah, creation don't forget the good news god has, the god that god has made you so i was uh, one of the, just yeah i thought maybe be helpful to get some like flesh on this and some example of like how this <laughs> is being we, yeah <laughs> i mean <but>. that's right <laughs> so uh, a, a pretty pretty well-platformed evangelical person this morning posted on twitter uh just watched part of it must have been from yesterday actually just watched part of the confirmation hearings in which uh judge katani katanji brown jackson talks about her husband and he tears up as she's saying this, and now I have something in my eye. Of course, it made this it made this person person cry. And so someone else comes on and says, you know, uh, th- this judge is going to be promoting and protecting the legalized mass slaughter of babies. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they love each other as husband and wife, but you know, there's there's a <laughs> there's something probably more important for evangelicals to be paying attention to here than than wow, don't they have a nice family relationship? And then so someone comes on and says, I was just going to say that both of those so far are okay observations, right? right? right. Like, like it's okay to have a loving relationship and to acknowledge that somebody might have a loving relationship and even to be moved by it. Like, that's okay. That's fine. And it's fine for someone to say, Hey, don't let that, don't let that block or blind you to the reality of what this person's doing. So the third person comes in, this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Third person comes in and says, it's pathetic that we seem to believe the Imago Day doesn't exist in those who are wrong about abortion. And it was just such a non sequitur. I go, but what? The so the, so the, the person- irony since the the irony since the entire problem with abortion is denial of the Imago Day in yeah. the, the conceived uh, embryo. I mean, that's the I mean the tragic irony of that that somehow yeah. and, and it doesn't even make well that's a perfect example, Matt, of the of not only non sequitur but it's nonsensical because it's like what what does that even like it doesn't even make any sense. I mean, except if you understand the the backstory of how Imago Day is being used, because because what is what is this person arguing that somehow the 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 not we're denying the humanity of people who who are for abortion? No one's denying the humanity. We're acknowledging that they are depraved and evil uh, examples of humanity. That's but no one's denying that they are they are image bearers of God uh, because of sin evincing the works of the flesh you know i mean evincing we couldn't evincing reason. a slavery to this world yeah. i mean that's what's that's what's happening um but no one is denying the the humanity we're simply pointing out where that humanity has fallen in the need of redemption i.e in this case the noetic effects meaning that their their intellectual understanding of the what's clear before them with respect to babies they're simply rejecting for the sake of their own self-aggrandizement or whatever the case may be and so yeah but that's a perfect example matt of how this of how the term is being just marshaled in defense of 
of just about anything that, you know, anytime you disagree with me, I can pull out the fact that you somehow are, are denying the Imago Dei, the image, you are, you are harming a fellow image bearer of Christ, and therefore the conversation needs to be shut down, or you need to repent and delete your tweet or whatever the case may be. Um, if, we, if, if we can add layers of irony here, we can only reasonably call for repentance in a person in whom we see the Imago Dei. That's right. right? That's they, right. We don't have a lion to repent from eating a, exactly, you know, a child or something. Exactly. We're like, it's like we, we ask the parents to repent for letting them play out tonight in the jungle. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's funny. It's, whenever we're talking about this, I hadn't thought about it until now, but it's it so closely maps onto the way that the baptismal covenant was used uh, for so long uh, with respect to at least our time in the Episcopal church in that when at least then you had to get baptized to have this sort of carte blanche to do whatever you want and sort of under the, the, the blanket of you could do no wrong. You know, once you were baptized and whatever you were baptized as you just remain, you know, which is really a council of despair, but nevertheless, like that was how it was used. So like, how are you, how can you deny full access and membership into any of the sacraments, any of the ministries of the church, any of the, the realities of this life to a now baptized Christian? And I remember, I forget, I think his name was Colin Podmore. In fact, I know his name is Colin Podmore. He wrote an article about um, what he called the, the baptismal revolution of the 79 prayer book. Anyway, it's not neither here nor there, although it's an interesting article. But one of the points that he had out was that in all of this discussion of baptism, there's a there's a there's a seems to be a, a either a forgetfulness or a or a or a calculated denial of the fact that we're baptized into the death of Christ. You know, like before, like we're not baptized into a, the the affirmation into the hug of the loving Father. You know, I mean that is true that it comes, but it comes on the other side of having been crucified and then raised to new life by faith in in Him. And similarly speaking. You know, now it's like the Imago Day is, I guess, for non-sacramental evangelicals, sort of progressive evangelicals, um, it's just bypassed the entire right. And now it's just by virtue of your birth, you are given um, all rights and access to the kingdom, which is not even what, what Paul argues. You know, it's by, it's by faith we have now been adopted as sons and daughters, and not just sons and daughters, but as heirs with full full access into what he has purchased for us. But there's a there's a big gap between between confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior and being adopted and grafted into the promises of God and Him and simply just being born as a human being, a sinful human being this side of heaven, I uh, hence the work of the church. You know, I mean, like this yeah. is what we do, like week in and week out. We're like, you, some of you, um, so were some of you. Some of you are lost, like, you know, repent and believe and, and find your salvation in Christ. And then then begin to, by the power of the Spirit, be conformed to the image of God, the likeness of His Son, which will bring into question a lot of your natural inclinations, uh, desires, and pro, uh, proclivities, which is what we call sin. And you know, but we have a we have a, another another uh, system set up for that. You know, we have repentance and we have redemption, and this this is all being shortcut by this this appeal to um, this blunt force, rather unsophisticated in, in um, use of this, this rather beautiful and, and um, you know, idea, uh, but in the hands of, of people that are, again, are trying to, to uh, preach themselves and not the cross, then it becomes something altogether different than it was intended to be. It's interesting you bring that up. I, I, I remember as well in the Episcopal Church, uh, I think it was uh, Gene Robinson, 
uh, wore this I'm baptized you know, sticker in one of the one of the general conventions. I mean, and, and the point was, so I should also be bishop. I mean, you can, you can maybe not be bishop because I've, I've, I've gone through the sacrament of baptism. So all the offices of the church are now open to me, um, regardless of my or regardless of my of my uh what i'm doing um so the same yeah you're right and that's now reduced now past the right to just being born in god's image and we're hearing whispers you know we're hearing the same the same leap from i'm baptized therefore you have no objection to lodge against me being bishop is being used now in some circles uh for the the argument over women's ordination you know so so uh, the argument is something like this. We're equally made in God's image. And so to deny us women saying this uh, ordination to the presbyterate or to the, I guess, even to the Episcopal office is to deny our, our being made equally in God's image. Yeah. It, it's, right. it's, a, and, and so you to to make that kind of argument, you you really have to flatten out so much of 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 the New Testament, especially the especially the household codes. I mean, you just can't have the household codes anymore. You've got to do away with all of the all of those places where Paul says, "Okay, you submit to this person, this person submits to this person." That, that can't be done anymore. You, well, can't, have any, you, also, you can't have any hierarchies. Right? That's right. Well, you also you also deal. I mean, again, I'm following a little bit on Bart's the fourth volume of his dogmatic over here a little bit, but. But but it's not simply to him, but that the image of God in man is in humanity, men and women is is partially um, distinct, meaning that like there is a sense in which a, a woman and a man both individually carry the image of God. But it's not just individually. It's also in relation to each other. And this is why in the image of God, he created the male and female. He didn't just create one gender or one human. Uh, he didn't create a bunch of automatons who all bear the image of God in some sort of unique and discreet way. There actually is a picture and a purpose to the relational reality of our lives as men and women that mirrors something of the relational reality of God in himself. Now, we don't have to get too far afield to, to, to map too much into um, the inner workings of the economic and um, uh, the, the Trinity and sort of the imminent Trinity. I think that's um, that we've talked about that before. I think that there's a lot of uh, speculative ink spilled um, that remains um, just that speculation. But nevertheless, we don't have to speculate about God's creative purposes for men and women with respect to their relation to each other. And this doesn't have to just do with marriage, although marriage is the place where the reconciling work of Christ is seen in a visible union this side of heaven, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. But even before marriage, we see, we see simply in the creative reality of men and women as distinct individuals throughout human history, as brothers and sisters, as husbands, as fathers and mothers, as friends, for that matter, in that relational reality, mirroring something of the image of God. And that, again, relates to the dominion mandate back from Genesis, is that the reconciliation of the two actually produces an incredible economic engine, as it were, for the, sub, the subduing and, 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 and husbandry of the world. You know, we actually see um, in the household, again, and that doesn't do any disrespect to single people or people that are unhappily, you know, divorced or, or widowed. I mean, there are always variations on this, but in general, the, 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 the picture of the inner working, however it was manifest, of men and women in, in for the earth was a picture of the self-sacrificial relational love of God himself, which is why, in part, 
the image of God is not male or female, but man and male and female. And so when you begin to argue that we each distinctly have this sort of autonomous piece of the image of God that then, then warrants us access yeah. and rights and privileges over against someone else, well, then we've actually undercut the entire beauty of the of the image itself, because, you know, he who did not commit, consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but laid down his, you know, kenosis, like the idea of, of the, the, the mutual indwelling and self-sacrificial love of the image itself, i.e. the Trinity, is then mirrored in the relation of men and women. And so again, we could talk and people have about exactly how that interrelation works, but to, but to argue that there is no distinction, is no interrelation, and therefore is no, as it were, roles and responsibilities within that is not, is, is really, in fact, debasing the image, in my opinion, as opposed to upholding it, because there's a beautiful symmetry and a beautiful, well, symmetry and, and like a concert between the dance of men and women that was supposed to mirror something of the actual, as the Orthodox to say, perichoresis of the Trinity. And we, of course, as the shattered vestiges, do all sorts of ways to make, to make that worse. But as we are being conformed to the image of Christ, both men and women, we begin to as it were, hopefully lose vestiges of our own sense of autonomy and, um, you know, personal divine shimmering self and in conformed into his likeness become more of the aspect of the image that we were always supposed to be, whether male or female, yeah. you know, and I think that's, that's what the saddest part about the definition is like whenever these, these beautiful gospel concepts are weaponized and turned into these sad, cynical, like barbs, being cast about with Twitter and other places, just the most unseemly and un, un, um, distasteful way of doing theology I could imagine. And it's so clearly a means to another end that it's, um, you know, it's, if it weren't people that had effect and, and, and as it were, responsibility over the shepherding of other people's souls, I wouldn't even pay attention to it. But the sad part is, is that a lot of these people are in places of leadership, particularly in our, in our own church. And therefore, you know, need to be at the very least um, pushed back against, if not um, in some cases, although I, I can't think of any at the moment, but I mean, I, if it got to a certain point, I mean, outright, um, you, you know, sort of contradicted, you know, and I think because, because raising people to not understand how they are created in the image of God, which is a wonderful, beautiful relational concept at the very least purchased by Christ on the cross for sinners, is to set them up for a world of, of self-salvation. You know, this is the, the curse of the law. It's what Paul talks about. You know, this is what you want to evince the image of God standing before the judgment seat of, of him someday, like, you know, go for it because you better, you better have it all there ready, you know, to, 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 to borrow a, a image from him in Galatians, because if you want to live by some of it, you're going to live by all of it. And, you know, which, which is obviously counter to, the idea that we boast nothing but in Christ and him alone. Um, and this is, this is, these are the stakes that we're talking about here and which I think make them very important. Uh, yeah. I mean, so one of the interesting things you, you bring up the, uh, the use of uh, the image of God. And I guess, historically um, the, 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 the way the modern debate, I guess, especially with regard to women, the place of women in the church is being framed as, Prior to the 1950s and 60s and 70s, I guess when complementarianism, the modern version of it, was was being articulated, yes, the church for you know 2,000 years before that did have a, a kind of a patriarchal structure, but 
the patriarchal structure was built on a denial of of the imago day of women or somehow uh, the, the the patriarchs and the, the fathers of the church and the fathers of the, of the Reformation altogether thought women were less human, and and complementarianism is like this new new kind of uh, adjustment of that idea where we're saying yes, they're they're they share our equal humanity, but we still have to maintain the distinct roles. Um, so you're so the argument is you guys are going to hold on to hold on to the inequality of the past um, and yet try to try to uh, uh, add to that inequality and equality of being, which, which is, which is, which is in conflict. Of course, to make that argument, you can't, you don't use usually the, you don't go back to the new Testament. You just, you, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's an argument based purely on, you know, on, on a, on a mischaracterization or of, the old Testament for that matter. Or the, or the old time. Right? You don't <laughs> go to the positive, Bible. Because... Any positive histories of the relation between men and women or any, you know, any, yeah. Right. That's, Sorry, a, that's essentially the thesis of, that's essentially the thesis of Bill Witt's uh, yeah. Icons of Christ book. I mean, that's the, that's his point. So um, here I was so. like, uh, this was like, yes, last night I was, I've been, I've been trying to make my way through, um, this is like three lengths ago. I said I was going to read, read through all the fathers. I see these books up here. Um, oh, at the wow. church. Um, and so far I've gotten through two books <laughs> in three years because <laughs> that's just slow going. But anyway, I was reading in Clement <laughs> of Alexandria last, um, last night in Clement's, you know, a uh, second century guy. And he wrote this book called the teacher or the pedagogue. Um, and he's taught, he's just like laying a foundation for, for how, how the gospel is taught in the church. And he has this one section. It's fascinating. He says, less than embracing more and more. Uh, this good obedience, give ourselves to the Lord, clinging to what is surest, the cable of faith in him and understanding that, that the virtue of man and woman is the same. For if the God of both is one, the master of both is also one, one church, one temperance, one modesty, their food is common, marriage and equal yoke, respiration, sight, hearing, knowledge, hope, obedience, love, all alike. And those whose life is common have common graces and a common salvation. Common to them are love and training. For in this world, he says, they marry and are giving in marriage, and in which alone uh, the female is distinguished from the male. But in that world, he's talking about the heaven, in the heaven, the rewards of this social and holy life, which is based on the conjugal union, are laid up not for male and female, but for man. Um, and so he's going to talk about how how because we're we have this shared nature uh, in which we're, we're equal. Uh, we can all, we can both have the same salvation and have the same teaching and access to all. This is the second century, and this is a second century father, and there's no way he's also an advocate for egalitarian <laughs> church. We know he's not because of other things written. Uh, egalitarian church roles and the um, egalitarian roles in the church, but he's he's very clearly acknowledging there, um, and you you do see this throughout the fathers, acknowledging that the imago day is something that. Um, men and women have together, um, and there are certain value. There, there are wonderful benefits of that, and, and, and salvation in Christ is one thing that men and women have together, just like Paul says in Galatians three. Um, and yet, none of that erases the reality that there are um, there are differences in the way that 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 uh, that equality is played out right. in the church. I have a friend who suggests that the word complementarianism because of its relatively 
recent origin obscures the truth of the matter, which is that what we're talking about is the created order of things. And um, he wants us to stop using the word complementarian and start using created order, which I'm all in favor of. That's but great. that <laughs> that example is just so perfect for it, right? Like we're, we're, we're getting very close now to, I mean, not that St. Paul was unclear in some way, but for those who would rely on the fathers rather than St. Paul, they're just as clear and just as reliant on what we would say, the New Testament and the Old Testament and the created order of how things ought to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the, so, I mean, that's just an example of one of the ways this, this whole, uh, the, the Imago Dei is being used in service to an ideology um, right. and it's being kind of wedged uh, into a, an argument for, um, for things that, traditionally well, it's being used, yeah. Can't be used, yeah well hold it's on it's being used it, against it, things like the death penalty it's being used when you talk about you know well any sort of criminal justice you know uh, judgment any sort of you know it's been used in uh, anti-war protests i mean it's anytime it's uh anytime people are appealing to um you're not doing violence harm or judgment to human beings it's being it's being used um, which again, I mean, I think in some cases is probably right. I mean, you shouldn't, because of, as we've seen, even the prohibition against murder in the Bible, um, there is a unique, distinct and, um, uh, set apart place for human beings, um, which should bring into question things like, you know, uh, civilian casualties of war and, you know, unjust torture and all sorts of things that I think rightly are understood as, as being, um, problems for Christians. Um, that being said, uh, it can't, as we said before, um, do away with, with the actual witness of the scriptures, which is that in a fallen world, there were people nevertheless who had the image of God because of the value of their creation, or, or they were born into the, the, the image um, have the, because of its shattered nature, um, remain um, you know, unregenerate, remain, remain in need of salvation, remain in need of, of, of um, rest, reconciliation and redemption. And so, I think this is, again, I think this is, um, well, I've already said it. I mean, I keep saying it, but it's just so clear to me that when you begin down this road, what you're actually trying to do is apologize for the clear, the clear witness of scripture with respect to, to people being either in Adam or in Christ, the need for repentance and redemption in Christ and in Jesus alone. And then the subsequent history of the church that actually was primarily a, an evangelistic enterprise that went into pagan worlds, um, preaching the gospel over against their false and false and mute idols. And that's what we did. That's what we have done. And that's how the church grew. And it was based because of the fact that these people who bear the image of God, nevertheless, are rebellious and dead in their trespasses and sins and need to be brought to the new life and then conformed into the true image, which is the image of his son. And that's you know, whenever that's being embraced, and I can listen to someone talk about the image of God forever, but it's sadly the case more and more that it's being used as a way to essentially try to, um, you know, again, back to Schleiermacher, make it palatable for the culture despisers of the world by saying, you know, we're actually, um, some of those people are about sin, death, and the devil and the need to believe in Jesus, you know, those quote-unquote born-agains, but we're actually more sophisticated because we can care about the the image of God, and even, oh, by the way, we'll throw in a Latin phrase just to make it even a little bit more, um, um, you know, palatable. And all along, it just so clearly smacks of a, um, of a fear of, uh, of man and not of God. And that's just what it, that's just where it is. And so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to, 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm have as many fears as the next person, um, you know, but I pray for courage and strength in the midst of those fears. And I don't think this is a way of, um, of alleviating those <laughs> it's a way of compounding, compounding and further weakening, uh, both the witness of the church in general and the witness of the individual minister, um, in, in specific. So we're not saying that um, that the debate about women's ordination is is something that, that shouldn't go on. Of course, we 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 when we signed our names for up for the ACNA, we we did so knowing that this was going to be a, a this is going to be an ongoing debate and discussion um, in the church. And we have a kind of constitutional truce where there there are uh, you know women cannot be bishops, but different dioceses are doing different things. We understand that, but but the use of the language of Imago Dei and the uh, the the implication and it, sometimes the, the outright accusation that the classic Christian position with regard to women's roles in the church somehow does violence to the idea that women share equally in the image of God, that takes the whole thing to a different level. Now we're not, now we're not talking about what, what does the Bible say about the role of women? Uh, now we're, now we're talking about one side, us uh, dehumanizing um, an, another side. And that takes it to the level where there's no more truce, there, there can't be a truce if that's what we're fighting about. How can you have a how can you have a rational discussion with someone who's a misogynist, right. you know, a, a heretical misogynist who denies the Imago Dei and has a disdain and a contempt for women? I mean, that's and if those are the like that's a conversation. If those are the if those are the the boundaries of it or the, if those are the stipulations by which we can have a conversation. Well, no, I don't know. No one wants to participate in that except for the people who have the, the obviously righteous position, which is non-misogynistic and non-heretical. And so mm-hmm. um, unless you're prepared to say that the constitutions and canons of the ACNA, which enshrine a version of complementarianism, i.e. particularly with the prohibition of women to the Episcopate, um, is, is misogynistic in a, in a rejection of the Imago Dei, well, that would be consistent. Uh, and that's what you would have to say if you're an ACNA person and you hold to this, because if you're not going to say that and you're not going to argue against that, well, then you need to change. You need to consider the tact um, that you're taking if you really want to have a discussion, because um, to simply ratchet the rhetoric up to mirror the, um, the, the sort of the fires of the non-Christian culture with respect to the increasingly acrimonious discussion between men and women is neither helpful at the very least, but certainly not Christian. Because if there's any place in the world these days where men and women should be able to speak freely and with joy to each other, it's under the the the, the banner of the gospel. You know, it's as the you as the with the dividing wall of hostility having been broken down and and even in our disagreements, you know, um, be be reconciled unto each other, as Paul says. And as long as the the terms of the debate continue to circle around where well, one side is a is an unregenerate, heretical, hateful group, and the other one is a enlightened, um, forward thinking, um, peace loving uh, one. I'll let you go ahead and fill in which one is which. Well, then there's no rec- there's no hope for that conversation. There's none at all, you know. But 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 there is hope for it. I mean, I think Matt, you and and you know, I mean, I think any married Christian couple, uh, you know, who's, who uh, has some hope for, for how this, this dialogue could continue, um, you know, how despite the sinfulness and brokenness of men and women that God could actually overcome their, their, um, their sinful proclivities and restore something of his image in themselves to provide for peace and tranquility amongst the, um, you know, the lion and the lamb, as it were. But nevertheless, that we see, and we've talked about this before, that we see this as the, the epicenter 
Uh, I mean, to bring it back to the Imago Day, to the epicenter of the cultural battles that we find ourselves in today is unsurprising to me because it's the very image of God. I mean, the image of God is men and women, you know, not male or female, but men and women created, uh, created in us, uh, in our image. And so we should be unsurprised that the devil would attack at the very, at the very image of God himself on earth, which would be the reconciling, peaceful, cohabiting, complementarian, mutually sacrificial love of men and women this side of heaven, you know, whether that's marriage or otherwise. And the fact that it's difficult, it's fraught with um, selfishness and envy and jealousy, strife, all of the sins, and that we, um, we find it such an almost impossibility is precisely because when it is seen, it is actually um, the picture of God himself on earth through his image. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's why this whole entire conversation, it's the epicenter. I mean, this is this is the these are the terms that we have been called to live in right now. You know, we're not we're not talking about ecclesiological fights. We're not talking about um, soteriological. You know, we're not even talking Christological. You know, if you were if we had been born in the third and fourth century, we'd all be arguing about the dual natures of Christ. Like that's all we'd be talking about. But we have been called to talk about the anthropological question, which is what does the image actually look like with respect to God's creative intent for men and women? That's what we have been called to talk about. And so we should be unsurprised, again, that there's tension and conflict around the very place where the devil is, um, is, is assaulting the church. And yet we should also be unsurprised and thankful and grateful that despite his warring, that the gates of hell will not prevail and that we actually see pictures of his redemptive purposes in and through the very restored image of men and women this side of heaven. And so I can attest to that. You can attest to that. I mean, Christian people can attest to a certain degree of where they have seen the otherwise seemingly impossible reconciliation of the image of God and the restoration of the shattered visage actually have images and echoes of something of the image of Christ, this side of heaven. And that's what we hold on to. And that's what we preach. And that's what we, you know, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't marry anyone. I wouldn't encourage people to have children, you know, and baptize them. I wouldn't, wouldn't be a Christian, except for the fact that something of the the death and resurrection of Christ and his his power, the power, the same power that raised him has been evinced and seen through the reconciliating, the reconciling um, sort of love and restoring power of God in his image, this side of heaven in my own life and the life of the women in my lives and my life. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, I think that's going to be all the time that we have for ourselves this week. Uh, if you want to keep this conversation going with us you can be in touch you can rate and review the podcast on itunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can join the anglicans for the gospel facebook group we're always grateful for you taking the time to listen to us today thanks again this week and thanks to matt kennedy and to jd coke i'm nick lannon and lord willing we'll be back next week until then by the grace of god and jesus christ we'll be standing firm mm-hmm.